Please be seated. And good morning. It is awesome to see you. Uh, again, welcome to um, everyone here, and uh, welcome especially to um, our sister churches, uh, Trinity Anglican and Cornerstone Portage Park. Welcome, Emmanuel Anglican, all of us sister churches of each, uh, of each other. Uh, I invite you to, oh, yes, all right. Uh, please turn in your scriptures or your bulletins to our gospel reading, to Luke 24. <laughs> now, this week marked a major transition for the city of Chicago. We, uh, we saw a new mayor sworn in, Brandon Johnson. And during prayers of the people, we will actually get to pray for Mayor Johnson, as we do for every mayor who's sworn in uh, into our city of Chicago, as well as every president, every governor of the state of Illinois. This is part of our Christian duty to pray for our leaders. Now, as soon as Brandon Johnson became Mayor Johnson, uh, he was invested with greater authority. And as soon as he was invested with greater authority, he delegated that authority to a lot of uh, what we call deputy mayors or people who are on his cabinet, people overseeing education, people overseeing transportation, even people overseeing uh, housing and community safety. And so if you were on his cabinet, if you were on his cabinet, the inauguration of Brandon Johnson was an extremely relevant event for your life, that your life changed this week if you were serving on his team. Because now you have a new job, you have new authority for that job, and you have new access to the leader of our city in order to fulfill that job. Now today, uh, you and I, all of us, are celebrating the ascension of Jesus Christ. This is when Jesus Christ was taken out of human sight, and he was seated at the Father's right hand. This moment marked a major transition for every single person who is in Jesus Christ and for the kingdom of God. And in our gospel reading today, what is Jesus doing? He's delegating his authority to those who are following him, to those who are his disciples, his deputies, as, as it were, who will carry out his agenda. It changed their life, and it's going to change our life. New authority. New, a new job to do, as well as new access to the king himself. Um, here's the danger for all of us, and I confess I've fallen into this danger myself. You and I can treat the ascension as a niche theological moment in the church calendar. Oh, isn't that cute? We celebrate the ascension, do you, at your church? And it's just some interesting thing that we do. But the fact is that the ascension of Jesus should change our life, should change our prayer life. It should change our entire summer, the way that we make our plans, that the ascension of Jesus means that we have an incredible job to do, that we have new authority and power, that we have a king who is interceding for us as we speak and is always ready to hear our prayers. So the king is still delegating his authority to men, women, and children who are ready to follow him. Now, my prayer for us this morning is that as we look at this gospel text, we will come away with fresh clarity, fresh power um, to follow the king into what he has for us. So let's look at three ways that we can participate in the ascension of King Jesus. And the first way that we can participate in the ascension of King Jesus is to tell the king's story. 
What a privilege it is to tell the story of King Jesus. There's so much power in the story of King Jesus. It's surprising. This story is a surprising story and it's a thrilling story. And it has changed lives and changed cultures for 2,000 years wherever the story is told. It's controversial and there's blowback wherever the story is told and there's power where the story is told. And before his ascension, Jesus goes over the story again with his disciples. And we get a snippet of that conversation, of that Bible study in um, Luke 24, verses 44 and following. Jesus uh, is saying to them, hey, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ, which is the Messiah, the deliverer, should suffer. And on the third day, rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And he says, you are witnesses of these things. What's the story of Jesus in a nutshell? Well, here's the story. Jesus is God's own son, beloved from before time, the king of heaven, God himself, God the son. And, and God the father sent him from heaven to earth to be our king because he was the leader that we've always longed for, that we've always needed. Gentle, yet strong, brilliant, yet humble, a teacher, a hero, a healer, someone who would stand up finally to evil and corruption and not be corrupted himself. This is the leader that we've been crying out for for millennia. And God said, I will send my own son to be that leader. Now here's the twist. We killed him. We killed him. We killed the only good leader we had. We murdered God's own son. We murdered God, the son. And it turns out, in the process of killing him, we found out something we never wanted to see, which is that we were worse than we thought, that the problem isn't out there, the corruption out there, the evil out there, that the evil's deep, deep, deep inside here. It's in our muscle memory. It's in our collective habits. And it comes out reflexively when we encounter the holiness of God. It reveals our evil. And as one pastor said, we're we're worse off, we're more wicked than we ever dared imagine. But here's the other twist, is that he knew it was coming all along. That didn't surprise him. He saw it. He knew the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms front to back. He wrote it. He inspired it. He came to fulfill it. And so it didn't catch him off guard that we killed him. Um. He knew that that's what it involved to be the Messiah, that he wasn't just delivering us from the evil out there. He was delivering us from the evil in here. And that in the process of killing him, he came to make a great exchange, that in exchange for our violence, he came to give us God's mercy and forgiveness and peace. That in exchange for our wickedness, he would actually offer us unending um, mercy from God and to be made right with God. That in exchange for our death, which is our biggest problem uh, right alongside sin, that he would give us, he would take our death. He would give us eternal life with God. Now that begins now abundantly and continues forever in heaven and in the new creation that he would just give that to us. What a gift, what a leader. It turns out 
as the saying goes, that we're also more loved by God than we ever dared hope. The king walked out of the tomb on the third day saying, don't be afraid, I'm making all things new. That's the leader we've always needed. That's the leader we've always prayed for. And that's the story of the king in a nutshell. Christ has died, right? Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Hallelujah. It's a true story. It's historically true. It's theologically true. It's true personally. It's true societally. And everywhere that story gets told, lives are changed. Society has changed. People are forgiven. Eternal destinies get adjusted in a significant way from hell to heaven, from death to life. Hope fills the cracks in society and soul because this story is to be told to all peoples, all nations, all tribes and tongues. You can tell it on the hills of Kenya, the cafes of Iran, the soccer sidelines of Chicago. Why? You are witnesses. We are witnesses. We've, are, we've seen it happen. We've seen the story of Jesus get told. We've seen the power of Jesus electrify people in a good way. I learned of one man from our congregation, one of our congregations here, who this week, he had a medical procedure done. He had a nurse. His nurse's name happened to be Muhammad. And they found out that they both went to the same undergraduate university. And so they started talking about their stories. And, and Muhammad asked this man his story. And so, well, he told it. And he's like, well, when I was at the university that we both went to, I was filled with despair. And I was filling that despair with alcohol and immoral lifestyle. And at one point, I heard the story of Jesus, and I found out that God wanted to forgive me, that he had a merciful heart and a father's heart, and that, and that I turned to him, and it changed my life forever. And it took away my despair, and it gave me hope and purpose and power. That's telling the story of the king from his own perspective. This week, I was having coffee with a friend of mine, not from one of our congregations. He lives on the west side of Chicago, and he mentors young men. Um, in the west side of Chicago. Isn't that amazing? And he disciples them. He teaches them about, about the story of Jesus and he helps them follow Jesus. And I asked him, I said, um, you know, Brian, what's the part about the story of Jesus that most resonates with the young men on the west side of Chicago? And without any hesitation, he said, it's the part about God being a father that actually wants to be with you. He doesn't just step in when you step out of line that Jesus wants to be your friend, not just your savior, and that, his, that God the Father is now your father and he wants to walk with you every single day of your life. Now, my friend and his wife actually take in many of these young men and host them, not just for dinner, but they will host them sometimes weeks or months or even years at a time, showing them the story of Jesus with their own sacrifice, with their own life, with their own willingness to walk with them. Now, it changes these young men's lives forever, their eternities forever. The story of Jesus is powerful. The story of the king is good. Now, you and I deal with a common problem, which is that we live in a city where there's a lot of skepticism about the story of Jesus, right? People have heard it. And there's skepticism and there's a, a sense of maybe alienation from the story of Jesus. People even wonder if it's an immoral story, if it's, if it's, uh, if it's uh, something that's going to harm people, harm society. Um, now, uh, we recently this week... Uh, are, we're mourning the death of uh, Pastor Tim Keller. And a generation ago, you know, a generation ago, people thought 
cities, we should just abandon cities with the gospel because they've completely rejected it. Tim Keller said, how about we just plant churches in cities and tell fresh ways of telling the story of the gospel that makes sense to postmodern skeptics that live in Manhattan. And guess what? Thousands of people have turned to Christ who were postmodern skeptics in Manhattan because they heard the story of Jesus in a fresh and compelling way and it changed their lives forever. And many of them are serving Christ in the city of New York today. Some of them have planted churches. The story of Jesus is 100% applicable to the city of Chicago, our neighbors, our friends, no matter how skeptical or resistant they are. So let's keep telling the story of the king together. It may take some work and some creativity, but guess what? We live in a city that loves a good story. So let's learn how to tell it. Let's tell the story of the king. Second way to participate in the ascension of King Jesus is that we can wait for the king's power. Wait for the king's power. Now, in our culture, people don't like to wait for power, do they? Um, we don't like to wait. We like to hustle for power, maneuver for power, fight over power, network for power. What words do you associate with power? Usually, we don't think about waiting and patience. But in the kingdom of Jesus, power works very differently. It requires patience. Jesus says in verse 49, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. The promise of my Father upon you. He's going to send it. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus says, stay in the city if you want to be clothed in this power. Wait in Jerusalem until the Father clothes you with this power. The promise comes upon you. Wait on the Lord. And wait they did. What did they do? They fasted. They prayed. They got their leadership house in order. And when the Lord determined that they were ready, he sent the Holy Spirit upon them. And the Holy Spirit clothed them with fire and with fruit. The fire of the Spirit was seen in new gifts for ministry, power in preaching, healing, prophecy, miracles, the casting out of demons, many of these done by ordinary Christians. The fruit of the Spirit was seen in new depth of character, patience, kindness, humility, joy, peace, and most of all, love, a deep and rich love for God and neighbor. The power of Jesus through his Holy Spirit, the fire and the fruit of the Holy Spirit advanced the kingdom of God far more than if the disciples had gone out there and rushed it and pushed it and maneuvered for it and tried to make things happen in their own power. And, and uh, as we say around here, they went slow to go fast. They went slow, they waited, they were patient. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were able to go fast. They were able to go at the speed of the Lord. And, and the Holy Spirit... Uh, was the manifestation of the king's power. If we are in Jesus, we already have the Holy Spirit, yet we still wait on him to take the lead. My friends, the Holy Spirit might lead us gently into rest. Sometimes he does that because it's a command of God to rest. But also he might lead us suddenly into risk because that's also something the Lord wants us to do, to take risks, to put our reputations on the line or even our lives on the line. He might lead us into the wilderness to purify us. He did that with, with the Lord Jesus himself, to test him and to prepare him. But also the Holy Spirit might lead us into a neighborhood to speak through us. The Holy Spirit leads and we follow. 
Someone once likened waiting on the Holy Spirit to the flight of an eagle. What does an eagle do? The eagle waits high on a mountain or on a tree. And when the eagle can sense the power of the wind blowing by the tree or the mountain, all the eagle does is to, is to venture out, spread its wings, and let the power of the wind take the eagle. And all the eagle has to do is use, its, use the power that it has to gently move from the left or to the right to glide. It doesn't go flapping and flapping, trying to make wind happen. It waits for the wind. Now, one example of how uh, waiting on the Holy Spirit is, uh, is like this is the Apostle Peter. Before he received the Holy Spirit, the, uh, before he was the Apostle Peter, the disciple Peter did lots and lots of flapping. Right? He, he made lots of pronouncements and promises. And he, he cut off a soldier's ear and he was trying to give Jesus instructions about how he didn't need the cross and he's just like flapping. And that's part of the process, actually, of, of Peter becoming Peter. Jesus let him flap. Jesus walked with him. But after Peter received the Holy Spirit and after his heart was broken from his own sin, what do we see Peter doing? Well, we see a chastened yet empowered Peter. He waits for and receives the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps him preach. The Holy Spirit leads him to people that he would rather ignore like Cornelius. And he has these dreams about going to Cornelius and the food that he thought was unclean. We see a lot less flapping from Peter after he receives the Holy Spirit and a lot more soaring in Peter's life after he receives the Holy Spirit. Christ has sent his Spirit and we can wait on the Holy Spirit to lead. As Henry Blackaby once said, we watch to see where God is working and then we join him in his work. Uh, an old mentor of ours, Teresa Glenn, gave me and Laura a prayer as we were trying to discern God's will before church planting. The prayer that she and her husband use goes like this. Jesus, please lead us to the cutting edge of faith. And when you lead, let us follow you. In other words, Jesus, don't let us lead ourselves to the cutting edge of faith. Flapping our way there. You lead, but when you lead, let us follow you. When you, show, when you open the door, when you help us risk, let us follow you there. Don't let us fall behind. What difference does the ascension of Jesus make in our life? Well, we get to tell the king's story. It's a mandate, actually. But also, we, we wait for the king's power, which is a unique and beautiful power. And then finally, we bask in the king's blessing. We bask in his blessing. There's something electric about a blessing from someone that you really respect, isn't there? If someone you really respect sees you, loves you, pours their life into you, Boy, it just lights up your whole countenance and your whole life. When they remember your name, when they notice you, when they're personally invested in your life, when they enjoy being with you. I remember uh, many, many years ago, I was meeting with a mentor that I greatly respected. And I remember writing notes in my notebook about topics and questions because I didn't want to waste his time. But as we met for lunch and as we began to talk, I realized that... Uh, he wasn't in a hurry to rush through the conversation. And at one point, after we had finished lunch, he asked for a third refill of his coffee. And I realized that when he asked for the third refill of coffee, this guy actually is enjoying this conversation. He wants to be with me. And I walked out of that lunch beaming. I was just filled with life. 
And that's what it's like to get a human blessing. Now, in the final verses of the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus imparting a divine blessing. Verse 50 and 51 says this, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Shorthand for what happened at the ascension. Now, notice what happens as Jesus ascends to heaven. His hands are lifted up in a blessing. It's as if Jesus is saying with his body language, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father loves me, I love you just as much as the Father loves me. For Jesus to bless his disciples was for him to say, may the Lord bless you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you. And their faces must have lit up, as all faces do, when you know that God loves you, when you know in your heart that God loves you, that he's called you, that he sees you, that he forgives you, and that he's proud of you, and that he has a very important assignment for you, that he's going to help you fulfill. This is so important that even as Jesus is being lifted up to heaven, he continues blessing his disciples. Isn't that interesting? And the higher Jesus goes, um, it's almost as if the more significant they can see that the blessing is because where's Jesus going? He's going to the Father's right hand to intercede for them and for us. We now have a great high priest. They now have a great high priest who blesses them uh, from heaven. Now, one example of someone living in the power of Christ's ascension is Stephen, the first deacon in the church that we can read about in the book of Acts. What, did you, what do we see Stephen do? Well, at one point, Stephen gets an opportunity to tell the king's story. Beginning from the law of Moses and working onwards, he tells the story of King Jesus with boldness, and he bears witness even though it earns him great anger and blowback. Stephen, at one point, was able to draw upon the king's power. Acts tells us that he was full of the Holy Spirit even as he was under duress. And then we also see Stephen basking in the king's blessing. Right before um, Stephen was telling his story and then before he was stoned to death, um, Luke tells us that, that Stephen's face was like the face of an angel. He was uh, beaming with the glory of God because he knew that he had the blessing of God the Father Almighty. And right before he was stoned to death, Stephen testified, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father full of the Holy Spirit, watching his advocate, advocating for him at the right hand of the Father. What does Stephen do? As his face gets bloodied from the stones, as he begins to collapse under the weight of, the, of all of the head trauma and all of the bludgeoning that he's getting from these stones, what does he do? He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus is advocating for him. He's advocating for his enemies and his neighbors. And do you know what? The Lord listened to his prayer and the person holding his, the coats of everyone who was stoning, Stephen, was forgiven of his sin, became a Christian, and started planting churches all over the place. Can you imagine what would change in our life if the ascension of Jesus was as much a reality day in, day out for us for every single person in every single church as it was for Stephen? Can you imagine if we were able to draw upon the king's power and tell his story? 
and bask in his blessing as much as Stephen did. The Holy Spirit interceding or guiding us, the Son of Man interceding for us. Can you imagine the story of Jesus getting told in our networks, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces? Can you imagine people being forgiven? Can you imagine unexpected miracles happening, not through our strength, but through our weakness? The churches that would get planted, the city groups that would begin, the cracks in the uh, foundation of our city that would get filled with the hope of Jesus Christ. Now, I believe we can start on that journey right where this gospel text ends, which is recorded in verses 52 and 53. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Let's begin where they end. Let us this morning and this summer bless God together, my friends. Let us renew our prayers and our witness morning, noon, and night. Let's encourage one another. Let's encourage each other within and beyond our churches with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Let's lift up all of the setbacks and pain of our life and let's lift up our hearts in order to bless God. Let's continually gather around the table. Let's gather around the table. Let's worship the Lord, um, our Savior, the Son of God, who's enthroned on high yet, who is here with us this morning and every time we gather in his name in word and sacrament infused by the Holy Spirit. Let's intercede for our neighbors, my friends, and our enemies like Stephen did for his. And as we do, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you and may he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.